This is Patrick from WSOU 89.5 FM, The Loudest Rock, and I'm here with Sam Leffler from Chevelle. How are you doing? I'm well today, man. Getting better. I've had COVID for a bloody month. It's Ooh. terrible. Well, yeah. glad you're feeling better now. Yeah, I'm getting over it now. So you released your ninth studio album, Neradius, a little over a year ago, and this is your first new full-length record in five years. What made you want to record another full-length album? Well, I mean, writing, recording, that's what we do. That's what the passion is. It, it, and we didn't expect to go five years between albums. It's just, it happened because we kept taking these other tours that came up. And um, there was, <clears throat> and then also obviously the pandemic pushed things back. And so it just, it, it just worked, which was good. We didn't want to uh, not do things that we wanted to do because we were trying to, to record. So we put it off until we could get to it. and then. We finished it in 2020, uh, March of 2020, right when the pandemic started. So then it sat for a year before we were able to even put it out because nobody knew what was going to happen with the pandemic. And people didn't want to put music out because I don't know if you remember this, but people put music out and then a week later, everyone forgot about it because it was just, there was so much news and all that happening all the time that it was just hard for people to stay on one thing. Yeah, I kind of remember that. It was definitely a weird vibe with uh, music releases. But uh, since you recorded it before the pandemic, what were you guys up to when you wrote these songs? Um, it was a couple years of writing. And I think um, somebody brought up to me and said, oh, this is a concept album about space. And that wasn't really the intention. It kind of turned into that because when Pete was writing lyrics, um, it was following a lot of, we always, we follow a lot of SpaceX stuff. We follow... Um, NASA and things like that. Uh, they were just interesting. And um, so it just naturally kind of came out that that's what the songs were about because we try to avoid just writing songs about, you know, just relationships or using the words I, me, you, we. If you take those things out, I think you open a whole bunch of uh, things to write about. So, um, that stuff came up because that's what we're interested in at the time and, and still are, obviously. That sounds really interesting. And uh, you just touched on it a little bit, but uh, you mentioned the space themes and you felt SpaceX and NASA and things like that. But um, mm -hmm. overall, what were the inspiration for these songs? Well, I think that um, each song is different. So it's not really, uh, there's not really one central idea when it comes to that kind of things. I mean, each song is about something different. I mean, the song So Long Mother Earth was, it's sort of tongue in cheek about deciding that you don't want to be here anymore. And you've sort of finished living and just moving on and just getting on a spaceship and go. So um, self-destructor is about, um, actually about um, vaccines, coincidentally which was written before the pandemic. <laughs> so, you know, there's a whole uh, movement of people who don't vaccinate their children and things, and things like that. And that's what that was about. So it, it jumps around theme to theme for sure. Yeah, I definitely hear that. And uh, going back to the space themes a little bit, you said it kind of came out accidentally because that's what you were writing about. Did you mm -hmm. purposefully kind of throw space into a lot of the songs or was it just kind of on your mind and it came out? Yeah, it was definitely just on, 
I mean, Pete and I follow that stuff regularly. So it was literally just, it was natural. Yeah, because, you know, you, uh, you're talking about a lot of the themes for this stuff. You got like, you know, don't want to be here anymore and Mother Earth <laughs> and uh, self-destructure is about vaccines, but, you know, also space. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's sure. cool. definitely a different way of songwriting. Uh, how was the songwriting process different on, on this album versus uh, past albums? I wasn't really different. I mean, songwriting process is, is really just about getting stuff down. It's about starting it. Songwriting is really, really difficult. And writing a good song, I don't, it's so difficult, right? So it's just a matter of sitting down and not being happy with it just because you did it, right? And it's like that thing being left over from being seven years old and doing a drawing and your mom's like, oh, that's fantastic. You're so excited about it. Just because it's you that did it. And just because you did something doesn't make it good. You have to push it. So, uh, I mean, the, the process wasn't different. It's just long is all. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I know that Chevelle started in your parents' garage. What kind of garage band elements do you think are still in your music today? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I think most bands start in their parents' garage. So um, try, <laughs> trying to get away from that. I don't think anybody's trying to get away from it. It's just your songwriting style changes. Your influences change. Um, your ability changes, your ability to to be able to play parts, be able to make things work in a way that they couldn't before because you're early in your career. Um, I think what maintains from that kind of stuff is not getting above yourself and remembering that you started doing this because you were impassioned, you're passionate about it, and and that also that it was fun, you know. It, and if you can hold on to that stuff, I think it makes it go a lot longer. I mean, what we're seeing, the secret to a successful band is just being able to stay together. That is very, very difficult. I mean, it's arguably harder than a marriage. And in some ways, it's, it is a marriage. Yeah, for sure. I uh, definitely hear a lot about that. And uh, once you were kind of out of your garage band phase and you recorded point number one with Steve Albini, uh, how would you describe the experience of recording your first record as professional musicians? Well, Albini is great. He's one of my favorite people in the world. He's so uh, bright and has such interesting perspectives. He's, he was a great dude. We, had so, we learned so much stuff from him. I just spending that time in the studio, but when it's your first album, it's like, it's like anything when you come into it, like in broadcasting, you come in and it's, it's, you have no idea what to expect. And then you're into it for a couple of years and you're like, what do you mean? Why would you ask me a question like that? That's silly. <laughs> you know, that's a stupid question, but it's not really because it's new. So you, you learn all these new things and all these things that you think are really important are not important. And then all this stuff that you thought you knew, you realize it's not good at all. Right. You, at the end of the day, I think all the questions you have about making an album, most of it is answered in just you being a better musician, a better songwriting, a better songwriter, um, and a person that's easier to work with. And just not being, just your ability to not be offended is important when it comes to recording, when it comes to being in a band, when it comes to anything. Don't be offended. Just move on with it and get to whatever the purpose is. Don't spend time being offended. 
So you just mentioned how, you, you know, there's no dumb questions when you start recording your first record because you're all learning as you make your first record as professional musicians. But what were some of the expectations you had going into making your first album that were kind of turned upside down once you started to learn? Yeah, I mean, interesting enough, um, Albini is very much a first take kind of guy. He wants you to have it be like a, a raw first take. And um, I think in order to do that, you really have to be, you, the song has to be finished, finished, as in like there can be no questions. And then it needs to be rehearsed a thousand times in order for you to do that. And um, that's a hard thing for anybody to do, to be able to do a song in one take. So um, that was a surprise. Um, for us that th that record was uh, basically you know one take two takes tops um, I don't think I would do that again because I don't think that makes it in this situation doesn't make it better um, but I don't know <laughs> maybe maybe it would but that was definitely one of the things that was that we were thrown off by yeah I understand that and uh, your sophomore record, Wonder What's Next, in my opinion, is probably the epitome of a sophomore record. You know, some of your biggest hits came from this album. What did you do differently on Wonder What's Next from a uh, point number one that you think made it the success that it was? Um, well, I think that that was our first major label record. Um, so the fact that we put the time into the recording, um, we recorded those songs several times and then went back and fixed parts and things like that, that made a difference. Also, because what we learned in writing music um, on the first album with the second album, we spent you know more time learning the songs and polishing them more, um, just by literally just by playing them. Um, so that that changed things a lot. I think that that album is kind of somewhat a sign of of the of what music sounded like back in the early two thousands, with the exception of not being too. Um, I don't know, got too polished, but that was kind of a sound back then. People were like, oh, we really want to hear no noise in the room, things like that. And I don't, I, I think that makes it sound a little bit um, like this, like dated for the time. Um, but I think that it doesn't matter what you do, because we look back on that album now, 20 years later, and it looks unfinished to us. Like there's things we could have done to make it better. But I think that happens with every album. So you just kind of just have to say, well, this is the time that we had to do that album, to record that album, to, to write it. So this is what it ended up being. And it, only, it may sound unfinished to us, but it, no one else would notice that. Right. I, I mean, I definitely wouldn't have noticed that. And also early in your career, you guys toured quite a bit. I know you played OzFest and you supported Disturbed on tour. So in addition to... Uh, becoming a professional musician recording your first two albums how did touring impact your music early on well it did impact it because you saw how other people um how other people were doing it and what some of the good parts and what some of the bad parts were and of course there's this whole idea of what music is or what two musicians do on their days off or days on or all that kind of stuff and and some of it's true and some of it's not, and you can lean into it and feel like, oh, now I'm living this, living this life or something, or you can 
resist it and say, well, that's, this doesn't define me. I don't have to be completely, you know, trying to fit into the, I don't even know. It's just like the, what people think living a, you know, quote unquote rock and roll lifestyle is it, it's kind of silly. You just have to do whatever is works for you. And I think, I think it's a hard life because it ends up being, um, most of it ends up being traveling. The best part of it is playing the shows and stuff, but the traveling does get hard after many years, but you just got to make it your thing. You got to make it the best that you can do something that you enjoy in it. And I mean, when you're a, a young band like that, you can tour forever because you can hit each market three or four times in a year. You could hit it as a headliner. You could hit it as a support band. You could hit it in a festival and all that stuff because you're a small band and you're getting to know people. But as you become bigger and people know you, you can't hit those markets three times in a year. So touring definitely changes after a while because you really have to make it count. Because you go and do a festival in a market, you know that you can't play that for six months before and six months after or whatever, at least maybe maybe longer. Um, and you'd be like, oh, well, I'm going to go do this show as a support band. But then you burn that market for when you come through as a headliner. So things do change. Back then, your decisions didn't mean quite as much. Now it means more. Yeah, definitely. And uh, what were some some places, some markets, like you just mentioned, that uh, really stood, stood out, out to you uh, when touring early on? Um, I don't know that there was necessarily a place that stood out because there was just, it was constant. I mean, we were doing 90 days on a week or two off or three weeks off and then 90 days on. And so you were at a different place every day. What's funny is that we actually ended up um, at this hotel in New Jersey, um, right in Jersey City all the time. We'd always end up at the same hotel and there was no, nothing you could walk to or anything. So you'd just be stuck there. <laughs> It really, you just be stuck there on a day off. And it was funny how it just happened all the time because it was one of the few places outside of New York City that had bus parking. So um, those are the kind of things that you end up remembering just being stuck at this same, you know, Holiday Inn or whatever all the time. And then, and of course, if you're, you and the other bands are all stuck there on a day off, then everybody gets up to a bunch of no good. The day becomes a, a rolling nightmare. I mean, I mean, it sounds fun. It sounds fun, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it is. And it is. It sounds fun. After the 20th time, you're stuck in that same place. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, speaking of New Jersey, you're coming back here to New Jersey, playing the Orange Loop Rock Festival in Atlantic City on June 11th. And, you know, you just mentioned how you've played New Jersey before. You, what your home for a while was the Holiday Inn in Jersey City. Um, what kind of stands out to you about the New Jersey crowd? Well, I mean, I guess the fact that you've been so many different places so many times. I mean, Atlantic City specifically, we played so many places so many different times. And we have such a, we always have such a good time going from to the casinos through the day and finding stuff to do and the boardwalk and all that stuff. I mean, it's fun because you show up and you have somewhere to go and something to do and to get out of your normal routine. So um, we've had many, many, many nights after the shows where we've gone out and done fun stuff, gone to the clubs or just gone to the beach. And uh, I remember one time we were in, like, it was like six in the morning. We were about to leave and my friend fell and broke her arm 
on one of those big rocks out on the beach. And we couldn't take her to the hospital, so we had to call an ambulance because we didn't have a driver for our bus. He was still, you know, in the hotel sleeping. I mean, we've had so many nights like that where it's just it kind of turns into a party, and then you go to bed when it gets when it gets light, and the bus has to leave. I mean, at this point in our career, if we can't have a good time, then it's our fault. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the mindset that bands should have. And, you know, we, we've talked so much about uh, touring now, but I have to ask, what to you is special about uh, Chevelle fans when uh, you play these shows? Yeah, we have very, very committed people who follow our our music from the beginning. And I think one of the really cool things without um, sort of aging myself completely is that people seem to bring, they bring, they have kids and then they bring their kids to the shows. And now we have all these younger people, you know, teenagers that are coming to our shows and like, Oh, I grew up with all this music. I'm like, you're 16 years old. How could you have grown, grown up with it? And they did because their parents listened to it. So I think you're always going to have this next generation of people finding rock music, people that are, they're picking up guitars and they're going, Oh, I'm, I learned how to play ACDC and I learned how to play this or whatever. And then they start to go deeper into things that, that are more their style and they find our band and they find, you know, other bands in that style is going to find that. And it's gone from, it's going from generation to generation. I mean, even with our older friends who are in their sixties, who were Led Zeppelin fans and all that stuff. And they, and they, as music changes, they find new things. And um, I think that that's pretty amazing thing about music is that it's, it's a constant, especially when it's rock music. Like if you're, a rock fan you're a rock fan forever yeah I, th- I think i definitely agree with what you said about you know the younger generation of rock fans they're picking up instruments they're listening to rock stations like wsou i get calls from younger people all the time and you mentioned how mm-hmm. you know uh kids pick up a guitar and they can play acdc they can play led zeppelin but what were some of those bands for you early on when you were starting out yeah i mean well some of the stuff that when we were it was, you know, it was older punk music from the 80s. And, but early on, you take all the stuff pretty early, like Van Halen and things that are um, sort of representative of the genre. And then as things come out, like Soundgarden was a, was a really big one for me. Um, and stuff that, that we sort of was developing at the same time as, as our musical style was, about, was developing. And then you go on from gender generation to generation and like now i listen to every time i die and and i still go backwards to the refuse to shape a punk to come which was literally shaped music that of today so um i mean all that stuff is is influential now and was influential then yeah it definitely goes back to what you're saying about music being a constant things like that and it's cool to know that that there you have you have bands that did that for you just like you know acdc and led zeppelin are doing stuff like that for kids these days and still are yeah Mm -hmm. and acdc and led zeppelin are still doing all that which is amazing yeah for sure so uh coming up next i have uh, a few questions that are a little random but they're some of our favorite questions to ask uh bands that we interview at sou so the first question is if the band weren't called chevelle what would you be called I haven't. I don't think I've ever thought about that. I I have no idea, but I would say 
that I wouldn't name it after a product that already existed. I can tell you that um, mm-hmm. because that has been a hurdle. <laughs> yeah. It's a Chevy car, right? Yeah, exactly. And it's not made anymore, but just, I think it was even made, maybe a made up word, but it, it's sort of based on the, the French word um, for horse, coincidentally. Yeah, yeah, I got you. Um, second question is, if there were one Chevelle song that you could send out to aliens for them to listen to, what song would it be? That's a good question. Um, I usually lean towards uh, things that are the latest stuff we've done, like Self Destructor or um, So Long Wild Earth or something like that. But I'd probably say, I'd go backwards to Hats Off to the Bull to the song face of the floor because i feel like that song was pretty representative of our style and not just about us but i feel like it's a one of those songs you could put on anywhere and pretty much everybody gets it so probably that song face of the floor yeah i definitely hear that now uh finally what's next for chevelle um well we have some really fun uh festivals that we're doing um, including the Orange Loop Festival, and um, just kind of like the summer uh, shows, the summer festivals and things like that. And then we have some pretty big tours that are coming up in the fall. Um, and in between then, we're writing another album right now. So hopefully we can get um, into the studio in November, December, and have new music out in 23, which is this thing that excites us, right? We want to we write, we want to play. That's that's our thing so, so we can get music out in 2023 because that's what we do we put out music and um hopefully we can keep new music coming out for the rest of our career like keep going right we're not we're not old so we're just gonna keep doing it yeah it's fantastic so sam thank you for doing this uh yeah. chevelle Naradius out now definitely go stream it download it by the cd whatever method you choose uh sam anything else you want to add no, that's pretty good, man. We're just excited about doing shows this year. So uh, come see us at a festival because um, there's a lot of them this year. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, definitely make sure you get your tickets to uh, Orange Loop Rock Festival in Atlantic mm-hmm. City in uh, second week of June, I think. Um, mm-hmm. Yes. June yeah. 11th. All right. Uh, All right. Sam, thanks, man. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Cheers. We'll see this you is, soon. You too. This is Patrick with WSOU 89.5.